Well, last week, we talked about the Good Shepherd. And uh, we looked at John chapter 10, and we saw that Jesus is our Good Shepherd, and that all those who truly believe in Him are His sheep. And we were reminded that as the Good Shepherd, Jesus genuinely cares for us. He provides for us in every way, and He gives us abundant life. But you know, that's not the only time in Scripture, or the first time in Scripture, where the Good Shepherd is mentioned. Psalm 23 is the Old Testament portrait of the Good Shepherd. And for the next four weeks, we want to talk about uh, what the Good Shepherd does in our lives from that Psalm 23. And in, in both John 10 and Psalm 23, uh, we are, we're, we're made aware of the many difficulties and dangers that we face in life and of how the Good Shepherd deals with all of those situations, all those anxieties, all those difficulties, how he deals with us that are some of the greatest sources to those things. And so for, the, for these next four weeks, we're going to be consider some of the greatest sources of stress and anxiety in our lives and how the Good Shepherd cares for us in face of those. And we begin today with Psalm 23. We're going to talk about the shepherd's solution for worry. Psalm 23 is probably the most well-known, probably the most beloved psalm in the Bible. And for good reason, because it, it pictures the nature of God for us in very simple terms, in the terms of a shepherd. And it shows us how God cares for us. Keep in mind that um, Psalm 23 is a comforting picture. It's a beautiful picture of God. And this is not the shepherd's psalm. This is the sheep's psalm. It's as if David, who wrote this psalm, gets down on his hands and knees and he looks at life from the perspective of a sheep. You remember that David, before he was king, was a shepherd. And so he knows all about shepherds and sheep and all the interactions between them. And so this is kind of like a testimony, the testimony of a sheep and how a shepherd cares so incredibly for his sheep. And so our goal over the next four weeks is to get to know God better in terms of being our shepherd. And of course, the better we know God, the more we can trust him. The more we trust him, the greater we can honor him and glorify him. And so the first cause of stress that we're going to look at today is worry. Is anybody here worried about anything? You know, we all have worries, don't we? I mean, we worry about finances. We worry about our families, about our, our children. Uh, we worry about our jobs, relationships, marriages. I mean, it's incredible all the things that we can think of to, to worry about. And, you know, worry has, worry has some problems, though. Worry has some real issues. You see, uh, and I want to just point out some, some of those problems, five problems with, with worry. First of all, worry is, is unhelpful. It's unhelpful because it never accomplishes anything. Worry never solves any problems. 
It's, it's stewing without doing. It's like racing the engine of your car. It makes a lot of noise. It makes some smoke. But you don't get anywhere. Worry has never solved a problem. W- worry can't change the past. Worry can't control the future. All worry can do is make you miserable today. And it only, uh, it, it isn't helpful. It doesn't work. Instead, it's counterproductive. Also, worry is, is unreasonable. It exaggerates your problems. It makes mountains out of molehills. It just makes them seem bigger and bigger. And the more you uh, review something, an issue, a problem, the more you review it, the bigger that thing seems to become. It's kind of like a, a dense fog moving in. It kind of obscures everything. But it doesn't really have any substance. You know, the, the uh, National Bureau of Standards says that if you were to take seven city blocks covered with fog, a hundred feet deep, and you were condense it, there would only be enough moisture there for a single glass of water. And all of that fog. And you see, that's what worry does. It expands and exaggerates the problem and makes it hard to see anything. To worry about something that you can't change is useless. To worry about something that you can change is stupid. I mean, just change it. And, and you see, you know, it really does make, doesn't make sense. It, it's, it, it's, it's unreasonable. Worry is also unhealthy. Your body wasn't made to worry. It's unnatural. You know, when you worry, you get things like headaches and backaches and insomnia you get ulcers. Worry causes all kinds of physical problems. Our, our bodies weren't made to worry. I mean, plants and animals don't worry. The only thing in God's creation that worries are people. And, and worry has a dramatic effect upon our lives. The old English for, for worry means literally to strangle. It means to choke. It's something that, that strangles the life out of you. For worry is unnecessary. You see, if Jesus Christ is your shepherd, you don't have to worry. Because if he's your shepherd, then he takes upon himself all your cares, all your concerns. He takes the responsibility for it. See, the truth is, you don't have to worry. But we often do in, in spite of that fact. Uh, and worry is unbelief. Worry, at, its, at the bottom line, is a failure to fully trust God with all your cares. You know, if you think about it, we can know all of those things about why we shouldn't worry. We can know all those things and still worry. You know, you, I could sit here all day and tell you reasons why you shouldn't worry. But that doesn't really help you not worry sometimes. What is the shepherd's solution to worry? How can we overcome that stranglehold that worry often takes hold in our lives? Well, there are four simple steps in the shepherd's solution for worry. They're simple. Now, they're not always easy for us to do, but they're very simple. And the first step is this. Believe. Believe what? Believe that God will meet your 
needs. The Lord will meet your needs. And it's given to us in a statement that is so simple that we almost overlook it. It says in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now that word want is a word that simply means to be in need or to suffer with a lack or a need not being met. And, And that's a simple promise. God says, I will meet all of your needs. I will meet every need in your life. Every real need, I will meet. Now, if God is my shepherd and I believe that promise, what is there to worry about? It takes away all that worry. But you see, even when I know that, even when I know that, I find it difficult not to worry. You see, if we're going to believe this, how you say, well, how do I believe it? If we're going to believe it, that requires us understanding who the shepherd really is and what he will do in our lives. Let me ask you this question. Who is your shepherd? Who takes the responsibility for the cares in your life? Well, if you're like most people in America right now, you are your own shepherd. You're the one who takes all the weight, who takes all the cares, who takes all the responsibility upon yourself. And you feel all that worry. More and more people in our world are saying that the, the government should be our shepherd. That the government should meet all of our needs. And, and more and more people are asking for the government to do more and more in our lives. But let me tell you, friend... If the government is your shepherd, you don't have a very good shepherd. you got reason to worry. But David says, I don't have to worry because the Lord is my shepherd. I want you to look at that word, Lord, and the way it's written in your Bible. You'll notice it's all caps. That's because it has been substituted in the Old Testament for the personal name of God. That was, that's the word Adonai, word Lord, has been put in place of the personal name of God. And in the, in the, in the Old Testament, God's name was four consonants. It was Y-H-W-H. Now, in Hebrew, there are no vowels. So they have to be supplied. And so some scholars put some vowels in between those consonants. And they came up with uh, Jehovah. We anglicize it Jehovah. So we hear Jehovah. So they put those, those vowels in there. After years of, of scholarship and, and a lot of people learning a great deal, we've come to understand that really it should probably be pronounced Yahweh. That's, the, that's God's personal name. But you see, it's been lost to us because for all those years, the Jews took so seriously the command not to take God's name in vain that they wouldn't even say God's personal name. The, the, the high priest would say it once a year on the Day of Atonement in the Holy of Holies. He would pronounce the, the personal name of God. 
And so that real, that sound of that really kind of became lost to the Jewish people and even to, to us. And so it's, it's a substitute. The Lord is a substitute for the name Yahweh, God's personal name. But Yahweh means self-existing one. It's the eternal nature of God. And do you remember when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and God said to him, I want you to go and, and speak to the, to the people, uh, my people, and to Pharaoh and tell them to let my people go and, and to believe that I'm going to deliver you out of bondage? You remember what Moses said? He said, well, whom should I say sent me? And God said, tell them, I am. Now, Moses was thinking kind of like we do. Well, that's an incomplete sentence. I am what? I am, I am light. I am love. I am holy. You know, what's, what's the fill in the blank? But God left it simply at I am. And he left that kind of fill in the blank. I am what? Well, I am whatever you need me to be. I'm everything. I'm the source of every good and wonderful and blessed thing there is in your life. Are you hungry? Well, I'm the bread of life. Are you, are you in the dark? Well, I am the light of the world. Are you searching? Well, I am the truth. Are you lost? Well, I am the way. What is your need? I am. I am everything to you. Now, this becomes so apparent in the names of God that we find throughout the Old Testament. The, the very names that we're given, that give very personal attributes, characteristics of God. And let me give you seven of those names paired with their corresponding characteristic found in Psalm 23. God shows all these characteristics in this psalm. So we begin with, with Yahweh, the personal name of God, who is, our, who is our shepherd. And then we look at Psalm 23. And the first name that we find is right there. It's Raha. It's a guttural sound. It comes from verse 1. It means the Lord is my shepherd. Then there's Yahweh Jireh or Jehovah Jireh as we often hear it comes from Genesis 22, verses, verse 14. You remember that's when God supplied the ram in place of Abraham's son Isaac. And it means that the Lord is my provider. Now, corresponding to that in verse 1, it says, I shall not want. So whatever I need, God provides. He provides all my needs. Then there is uh, Yahweh Shalom from Judges 6.24, and it says that God is my peace. And in verse 2, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You say, well, what, what do you mean he makes me lie down in green pastures? Well, remember last week we talked about how arid, how dry that land is, and how sparse the grass is in, the, in that kind of desert area. The sheep were used to wandering. They wandered from place to place and they'd find little patches of grass and they would eat there for a while and then they would move on. 
But sheep get so used to moving on, sheep, they constantly move. They never stop. They're, they're just busy little creatures. And so when they come to a, a patch of grass, they'll eat for a little bit, but then they go on. And that shepherd often has to t- take those sheep and grab them by their ears, a very tender part of their neck, and squeeze them and push that head down of that lead sheep until he lays down there in that grass where he will eat. They're so busy, they'll run off and miss the, the blessing that God has given for them. Look at our culture today. We are so busy. We cannot stay still for a moment. We're bees in our culture. We're just constantly going. We miss so much of what God would like to say for us. We never really have any peace. We never enjoy the blessings that God puts before us. But God is our shalom. He's our, our peace, our rest. Then there's Jehovah Rapha. From Exodus 15, 26, it means the Lord, my healer. But you'll notice in verse 3 that God not only heals the physical infirmities of our lives, it says he restores my soul. He's a spiritual healer as well. Then there's Jehovah Titsidnu. And this means from Jeremiah 23, 6, the Lord, my righteousness. Verse 3 again corresponds. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For his namesake. There's Yahweh Shammah. Ezekiel 17, 15. It means the Lord ever present. Uh, Verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. God is ever present with us in this life. But God is also our our Nisi, Exodus seventeen fifteen. God is our banner. You remember when Moses was holding the rod over his hand when the, the children of Israel were fighting the Aquamites, uh, Amalekites? And Aaron and Hur had to hold his hands up. He held up that rod. It was a symbol of the banner, the flag, the symbol that God was overseeing the battle. And you see, it means that God is our banner. And here he says here, uh, you, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, verse 5. And then Jehovah Rapha again appears in verse 5. You are my healer. In verse 5, you anoint my head with oil. And finally, Jehovah Jireh again, provider. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see how the names of God that are sprinkled throughout the Old Testament are reflected here in this psalm, the nature and the character of our God. Now, when we think of Lord, we think about God in terms of deity. But when we hear the word shepherd, we can think a little more in personal terms, a little more in relational terms. See, God in human form is Jesus Christ prophesied in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. And here's the wonderful news about salvation. See, in the Lord Jesus, we meet a sovereign God who has control over everything in our lives. He's the perfect shepherd because he has control over all things. But not only that, you see, he's sympathetic to us. He knows what it's like to be human. He understands our our deepest needs. Like David, who was a shepherd before he was a king, he understands 
the, the struggles that we have in this life. And Jesus is described then in the New Testament as a shepherd also three different ways. And I, I think it's very fascinating because, first of all, we see he is the, the good shepherd. John 10 from last week, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And of course, that's a reference to Christ going to the cross and paying the penalty for our sin. But he is also the great shepherd. Hebrews 13, 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd. What's that? That's the resurrection. Of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant... Even Jesus, our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, don't forget that God's grace not only is unmerited, undeserved, but it is the ability, it's the desire to do what God wants us to do. And through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, we can do what God asks us to do. But he then he is the, he is the chief shepherd. 1 Peter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is talking about the, the coming of Christ. He's coming again, and when he comes, he's going to remove us from the very presence of all the stresses and difficulties and dangers that we face in this world. And so as the good shepherd, he has dealt with the penalty of sin on the cross. As the great shepherd, he's dealt with the power of sin through his resurrection. And as the the chief shepherd, he's dealt with the very presence of sin in his coming to take us out of this world. That shepherd provides, he provides everything we need, food, shelter, the basic necessities, everything. He protects. He protects us from our enemies. He protects us from harm. Uh, He protects us and he guides us. He directs us in every way that we need to go and he corrects us. See, when we get off the trail, when we get off the beaten path, then he corrects us. He puts us in the right direction. And the amazing thing is, is that God has promised to do all these things for us if we allow him to be his shepherd. Now, now think about this. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will guide you. And I will direct you. I'll correct you. Psalm, or excuse me, Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God says, I will supply all your needs. He didn't say, I might. He says, I will. And God doesn't give us all of our wants. I mean, all of our desires, all of our greeds. He gives us all of our real needs. If he gave us everything we wanted, we'd just be a bunch of spoiled children. But he gives us what we really need when we we need it. And he says, you can trust me. I will do it. And And if he says, I will do it, then his character, his very character is on the line. 
If he doesn't do it, that makes him a liar. That makes him untrustworthy. But God has proven himself trustworthy over and over again. He says, I will meet your need. So everything you need. What do you need? What does this include? Does this include doctor bills? Mortgage payments? Spiritual needs? Medical needs? Is it relational needs? Overcoming addictions? I mean, does it include everything? It includes everything. See, I am. I am what? I'm whatever you need. In the Bible, there are over 7,000 promises made to believers. 7,000, over 7,000. It's an incredible umbrella of, of goodness and grace that God puts over us. And when you understand them, and you understand that God is the great I am, What's left to worry about? You see, worry is really then unbelief. Because God says, I will provide. And then we say, no, I don't think you will. That's called unbelief. When we were living in Fort Worth, uh, there was a a, a gentleman in our uh, Sunday school class that he was an engineer for Bell Helicopter. It's now Bell Boeing, I think. And at that time, they were working on what was considered a revolutionary concept, a tilt-rotor aircraft. That plane would take off like an airplane, but then it could tilt its uh, motor, go up and take off like a a helicopter. Uh, The Osprey, Bell Osprey. He was working on this. And, and, And part of his job, he was telling me, was that he had to run all of these calculations, all these scenarios, one scenario after another about how the angle of that blade, the thickness of that blade, the the width of it or whatever, in different positions affected the the thrust and the lift of of that airplane. And he said, you know, I know most of them. I know most of them don't work, but I have to go through that calculation. I have to document it to be shown that it doesn't work. I said, why can't you just you know, just go to, the, to what you know is right. He said, well, you just have to go through that, that process. And I'm thinking about him working through these thousands of scenarios. And in my mind, I'm picturing, isn't that just like us when it comes to worry? Isn't that what we do? Don't we play over scenario after scenario, situation after situation? We try to picture what we, the, what's happening, the events, and how it's going to turn out at the end. We try to do that because we want to be in control. We want to have a handle on it. But what does that cause? When you start working through all those scenarios, it's like you're living through those scenarios emotionally. You're experiencing the stress and the anxiety of of something that's not even happened. As you try to project the future of what's going to happen and how it's going to work out. You take the, you're taking on the position of being God, of seeing the future, of trying to have a handle on everything. And boy, it comes down to being an incredible stress and anxiety in our lives. We're almost, we're acting like atheists every time we worry. Because we're acting like, we, I don't believe God. I don't believe that he'll do what he says he'll do. Understand, God is not the shepherd of everybody. God is the shepherd of those who 
believe in him, trust him. How do you make God your shepherd? That's a good question. That's our next step. Receive. You say, receive what? Receive Jesus as Lord. Notice what David says there. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, the Lord can't be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. They go together. You can't ask him to be the shepherd without allowing him to be your Lord. You have to stop playing God and let God be God. You say, what does it mean to be Lord? Well, it means to be in control. It means that you call the shots. Whoever's in charge is the Lord. Today, we got all kinds of terms for that, you know, like CEO and, and, and boss and manager, uh, you know, chairman of the board. Whoever's in control, well, they're the Lord. And Jesus Christ is Lord in your life if he's calling the shots, if he is in control. Now, that's the problem for many of us. He's, a, he's not our shepherd. He's not our Lord. To receive Jesus as Lord means three things. In John 10, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know me. They listen to my voice and they follow me. These three words are what it means to have Jesus as your Lord. You know Jesus, you listen to Jesus, and you follow Jesus. That's what it means to be, to have him as your Lord and let him be your shepherd. You see, you submit to him. Worry is in reality a control issue. Worry is about who is in control. The root of all your worry is that you fear you're not in control. That's what people want. They want to be in control. They want to be the Lord. They want to be the boss. Uh, worry is always an attempt to control the uncontrollable. It, worry is resuming, assuming a responsibility that the Lord never intended for you to have. He never intended you to be God. And whenever you try to control the uncontrollable, you know, when you try to control your kids, when you try to control the economy, when you try to control your workplace, when you try to control all the things that you do, you know what you do? You feel the incredible weight of worry on you. Worry should have a warning light that comes on. You're trying to control too much. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you're going down the road and you're driving, you know, and you're trying to control that person in front of you of where they're going to go and how they're going to drive, right? Yeah? And you'll just get right up on their bumper and I'll show them, I'll control them. And there ought to be a little light that comes on your dashboard, turns red, and says, man, you're out of control. <laughs> you know? You're not in control. And you're, but you're feeling stress. And anxiety, see, worry is about control. And every time you start to, to worry, you're trying to control something that you 
can't or shouldn't be trying to control. Who's in control of your life? You know, God gives you a choice. Do you understand that? God gives you a choice who's in control. You can take the control. God allows that option for you. But if you do, you will feel the weight of your worry. And let me tell you, this, this, is, this, is, this is, some of us have got it figured out, though. This is the problem with current Christianity. We've got it figured out. We want God to be our co-pilot. Have you seen those stickers? God is my co-pilot. I'm sorry, if you've got one of those, go rip it off. Because God doesn't co-pilot. Because what, what happens? Why? Because we crash and then we blame God. What we really want is we want to have control. We want to go where we want to go, but if something can, begins to fall apart, if something happens, we want God to the co-pilot, hurry, hurry, take control. We, it, it, when the accident's about to happen, we want Jesus to take the wheel. But you, until, I, until I'm getting trouble, you stay over there, I'll be in control. I'm running my life. And that's where we are, you see. That's what we've done. We've, we've figured it out how we can be Christians. We can be sheep, but we can be in control until we need a little help from God. Until he doesn't come through. Listen, God is the one who made you. He's the one who knows everything about you. He knows what really makes you happy, what really satisfies you. And you, and you listen, you don't need to have God on standby. You need to have him being Lord. And if you're in control of your life, you're, you're, you're playing God. And that is the root of worry. I, I wish that, that we could hear it a little more often, but... Oftentimes when we start playing God, there's a little voice that comes on inside that says, wait a minute, who are you kidding? You're not in control here. You're not God. You can't do anything about this. And then we, then we go back to God. It's like I've run a thousand scenarios, but none of them work. And finally I thought, you know, that God thing might work. Why, why can't we just go there initially? Why can't we just go there and trust God in the first place? It's, it's a part of our human nature. See, you need to receive Jesus as Lord of your life. You need to let him be in control. And friend, until you get to that place, you're never really going to have that, that peace, that freedom from, from worry. There's a third step here, and that is relieve. Relieve what? Relieve your cares through prayer. How do you relieve yourself of the control? Well, through prayer. Uh, You pray about all the things that you usually worry about. You just talk to God. It's because he wants that relationship with you. You say, I don't have time to pray. Well, you've got time to worry, don't you? Well, use all that time you're worrying to pray. That's all you do. Is that's, all, that's all it is. It's like instead of worrying, you're, you're praying, talking to God about it, instead of talking to yourself about it. And, you know, if we prayed about all the things that we worried about, well, we'd have a great prayer life. Remember, worry is unhelpful. 
it's, it's useless. It doesn't change anything. But prayer approaches God and it really, and God really can change things. Oftentimes it changes us. But, but it, it, God accomplishes something. Worry is, is doing without doing. Prayer gets in touch with God who can change things. And when, whenever I'm worried, I have two options. I can worry or I can pray. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, pray, Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, friends, this is one of the most beautiful things ever written in the Bible. Because through prayer... God enables us to take all of our cares, all of our burdens, all of our worries, and take them over here and just dump them on God and let him have them. In prayer, we transfer the the burden and the responsibility and the worry to God. And we pray about what? Everything. Everything. If it's big enough to make you worry, it's big enough to pray about. If it's, a, if it's enough to, to, to bring up the un, you know, uncomfortable uh, pit in your stomach, then friend, it's, it's big enough for you to pray about. And, and, and 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know what cast means? Uh, cast means to, to dump, to unload, to, to get the, the weight off, the burden, get, get rid of it. That's what it means to cast, to, to get it off you and onto somebody else. And so you, you take your burdens and you, you give them to the Lord. But the problem is we, we cast our burdens on the Lord like we do our fishing. You know, we take our rod and we, we cast it out there. Then what we do? Yeah, we start reeling it right back in, don't we? And before we know, slowly it happens. But before we know it, man, we got it back in our laps. We're, we're in control of it again. And, and God wants us to cast that out there and then cut the line. Leave it with him. And, you, and, and then the fourth step, you got to, we certainly, we got to believe, Right? And then we got to receive Jesus as Lord. And then we got to relieve. we got to get that to God in prayer. And then we've got to perceive. Perceive what? Only the cares of today. Consider only one day at a time. Look at, that's biblical. Look, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, the living Bible paraphrases this, live one day at a time. Jesus is saying, you know, don't open your umbrella until it starts to rain. Today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. Right? You're living what you worried about yesterday, but yesterday had absolutely no effect on what happened today. And what you do today is going to have absolutely no effect, or your worry, that is, is going to have no effect on what happens tomorrow. The future can seem overwhelming. And that's why God gives it to us in little increments. Little 24-hour increments called a day. That's how we live life. And what does Jesus say? He says, give us this day 
our daily bread. What, how does God provide for us? He provides for us daily. What we need now is what he gives us. He's not giving us 100 years in advance. He's just giving us this day. And that's how we live. We live by faith, moment by moment, step by step. That's how you walk in the Spirit. How do you walk in the Spirit? One step at a time. This faith is in, this step is in the Spirit. This step is in the Spirit. This step is in the Spirit. This step is following in faith of what God provides. And with every step along the way, God is giving us exactly what we need when we need it. We try to look at the whole trail. We try to figure out our whole life. But we can't do it. The remedy for worry is to choose to live daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes moment by moment, believing that the Lord is your shepherd. Who's in control of your life? Who's calling the shots? If I'm in control, well, i got a lot to worry about. But if God's in control, it's in his hands. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I can guarantee you that there are all kinds of things, probably things I couldn't even imagine that people are going through right now that are weighing on you heavily right now. I I couldn't imagine. When when that thing comes up that gets you, you know, that pit in your stomach, what do you do? Well, listen to what Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31 says. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, now that's speaking of people who don't know God, eagerly seek for all these things. There's those busy little bees. Their whole life is busy, 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 trying to meet their needs. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness And all these things will be provided for you. Right? So what's he saying? You've got to believe that the Lord is your shepherd who will provide all your needs. But before you can get to the the needs, you've got to receive Jesus as Lord. You've got to put him first. You've got to seek first his kingdom. And it's in the process of fulfilling what God has for you that God is going to supply everything that you need. And then you receive. You, you, you receive and then you relieve. You, you take all the, the concerns that come in the process of life and you put them over, give them back over the Lord. It's a, it's a daily process we have to do. We have to do it time after time after time. You're going to leave here today. You may put some burdens on the Lord today and you feel free, but I mean, tomorrow you're going to have another burden. And you're going to have the choice tomorrow to make that same decision to put that over on the Lord. It's an ongoing life of putting it one day at a time on the Lord. If you go home and you read Psalm 23, and I would suggest it, if there are people here today, you're, you're dealing with anxiety, uh, with, with fear, with, with panic attacks, with all those kind of things, I want to tell you, you go home and you begin to read Psalm 23. You read it over and over and over, and you let God indelibly put in your mind the reality that he is your shepherd, and there is absolutely nothing Nothing that will ever come in your life that he cannot meet that need. And he will begin to take away your worry. I know. I've been there. He will take it away. And when you see that there there are 17 times you see the word I, me, or my, because it's very personal. 
David's talking from personal experience. I've seen God. You know what? He's going to see, and you'll also see God's name used there. Uh, or uh, he, or, or the Lord, or the shepherd. You see that used ten times. That's because it's a relationship. It's a relationship between a shepherd and a sheep, and the shepherd is meeting all the needs of the sheep. It's an incredible thing. And you need a shepherd, friends. You need a shepherd who will meet all your needs. Wilbur Chapman was a pastor of yesterday, uh, yesteryear. He's a great pastor, a very warm, um, comforting kind of man, great preacher. He was asked once to go and talk to a 10-year-old boy who was dying of cancer. His mom said, would you please come and talk to him? He's just so worried. You know, he, he knows that the end is coming. He said, what could, would you talk to him? And Wilbur Chapman went to him and he read to him Psalm 23. And he explained it to him, what it meant. And he told this little, little boy, he says, I want you to take your finger. See your finger here? Give me your hand. See his finger. And he said, I, I want to give you something to hold on to. That's the truth, that God is your shepherd. And he said, and every time you start to worry, every time you start to be anxious, you start nervous, he said, I want you to take your finger, and I want you to remember that God is your shepherd, that he's holding on to you, that you're holding on to him. And that little boy shook his head, and he hugged him. Two weeks later, the mom came in in the morning after she sat up with him most of the night and she found that the little boy had passed away. And when she looked, she pulled the sheet back and he's laying there holding his finger over his chest. The Lord is my shepherd. Yea, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You can trust the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Our Father, we are grateful. That you 